The following program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to Queen Hi! I'm Katie. <laughs> Welcome to Court on the Macabre. And this is Hunter. And Marissa, we're doing this for the second time because we just learned we did this for 30 minutes and the camera was not recording. We love it. You love to see it. Um, so I have some unfortunate news that uh, Kelly will no longer be joining us just due to personal reasons, just a lot of stuff going on in life. She she's was busy, still, like, traveling the world and shit. Yeah, she's always traveling. Yeah, so don't feel too left, bad like, for her. Like, <laughs> no, and we're still the best of friends, and she's still going to come on to the show every once in a while and yes. just still be a part of things, so she's not gone, but for now, you have me and Hunter. Today, we're going to be talking about <laughs> trapped, just situations where uh, people are trapped. You yeah. are trapped. I'm trapped. Someone else is trapped. <laughs> and um we're all trapped in reality really if you think about it we we really are and while I've never really been in a situation <laughs> in which I felt trapped outside of that one awful job I did as an extra oh my god oh <laughs> where my god. I was like isolated and had nowhere to go and it was and I got hypothermia because the industry doesn't know how to treat people like people um <laughs> that's the only time I can really think of like being trapped I, I got stuck in an elevator for 10 minutes, but I don't really think that, that counts because all the lights were on and I had my phone and I just texted the maintenance guys that the elevator had stopped and it only the elevator only went up one floor, so um, it wasn't like in danger of falling really far or anything. <laughs> it was probably like eight feet off of the like actual ground. That's probably the extent okay. of me being trapped. You get cheese? Cheese has something to say. He went, Yeah, so I've never been stuck in an elevator. I do remember reading somewhere at one point that no one's ever actually, like, died due to an elevator falling, like, Tower of Terror style. That's interesting. But people have died in elevators in other ways. Yeah. I feel like there have to be so many, like, safety measures so that the elevator doesn't fall. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know elevator science. <laughs> elevator science. <laughs> um, I do feel bad for that dude who got stuck at work in his work elevator for 41 hours. <laughs> he was going on a smoke break, got on the elevator, got stuck, and just nobody came to fix it for 41 hours. And that also, like, because a lot of elevators aren't like conditioned spaces so like if it if it was like a really cold winter really hot summer or whatever like most elevators aren't conditioned spaces so you if you're there for like a really long time like I bet it would either get like really hot or really cold along with just like smelly yeah it gets so smelly and you have to pee very unhygienic I don't like that yeah not good not good (laughs) I did originally want to talk about this really interesting couple that was trapped on the Amazon River, but I couldn't remember if I had already told you that story, but I did kind of want to tell it a little bit anyway. Okay. Because I just, okay, okay, (laughs) but I mostly am going to talk about, like, people trapped in caves and, like, spelunking and, like, cave diving and all those terrifying things that you love so much. My (laughs) favorite. 
Pender's fiance loves to go or he, wants to go cave diving. He wants to go cave diving. He does a lot of scuba diving mm-hmm. and underwater photography. Big adventure guy. And big into adventure, which is great. I love that about him. But he also really likes to put himself in dangerous situations for fun. And uh, I don't. So, <laughs> so, so it's, it's a little bit of a sticking point. Um, we're still working on coming to some sort of solution for that. Well, maybe I can help you come up with some points to fight yes, the against more... it. Because at least one pe- person dies in every story. That's great. So I can give him, like, this happened, and this person died, and this person, this happened, died. And then he'll be like, okay, maybe I won't go cave diving now. Maybe. So that's probably not how it's going to go. It's probably not how it's going to go. But it can't hurt. But not me. But not me. And it's like, but yeah, you. That would never happen to me. I had this issue where I had this assumption of this would happen to me. This would absolutely happen to me, and I'm not going to risk it. I think that's just called self-preservation. There, there's so much life I've lived and so many times I've been like, you know, I'm going to not choose to not do this because I'm totally the asshole who would get stuck in a cave. I would drown in the rapids. I would do whatever. Well, like, every story, like, especially, like, being into true crime, like, every true crime story, every person is like, you know, you hear about this all the time, but you never think it'll happen to you. Like, every single person says that. Be a little it, more self-centered and it, assume it will happen to it you. It will happen to you. <laughs> Just be a little... It 100% can happen to you. Just be a little more narcissistic. Yeah. And assume like, everything will happen to you. Maybe the world does revolve around you and everything will happen to you. Maybe. There's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. So... It's a little healthy dose of that. Yes. So this couple was a big adventure couple, and in like 1978, 79, sometime in the 70s, for their honeymoon, they decided to go to the Amazon, because, okay. Um, I would love to go somewhere really hot where I'm going to sweat a lot. I don't know what time of year it was. I do assume it was like, yeah. Wouldn't it just be like hot and sweaty forever? (laughs) Probably, you're right. I mean, it wasn't cold. Atlanta on like, like late August, like, 4 p.m., that sort of, like, soggy heat. Oh, the soggy The light. soup. The air soup. You know a place... Time's, like, a billion, though, because it's the Amazon. You know a place that's really hot and humid and sweaty that you don't think about it being hot and humid and sweaty? Japan. Oh, my God. It's just like Georgia. It's just... Oh, my God. Like, I remember going there and being, like... I sweat through, <laughs> we were there in summer, it was June, yeah. I sweat through everything I had, and not a good time like, when, when it I came to Japan, the temperature. I think of like spring and cherry blossoms and stuff, <laughs> I don't, or like, I'm like, how do I they wear of, those like, long ass like yukatas in the summer for festivals, like, it's so hot. I think of like winter there, because every anime there is always like winter and it mm. looks beautiful. They do have winter and it is beautiful. But, um, in summer, it's fucking hot. It's fucking hot as shit, and it's humid as fuck, because it's technically an island. It's an island. It's hot as fuck. Yes. Um. That makes sense. Luckily, I had some sort of, like, I'm used to it from being from Georgia. If I was from anywhere dry, I think I would have been dying. Yeah. Like, if I was from, like, Arizona or Nevada or something, I would have 
passed out from exhaustion or something or dehydration. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but luckily living in Georgia, I'm used to breathing in my you daily the, yeah. water intake. Yeah. <laughs> you just absorb it through the air like a sponge. That's <laughs> why so our skin is so nice. Now. It's like all the TikToks where it's like you like wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, today's going to be a great day. And you like get all cute and ready for your day. You just open the door and all of a sudden you're just Melts. drenched. You just melt in <laughs> just water. But it's so accurate. It really is. It's so accurate. It's so gross. So this couple's in the Amazon. <laughs> Sorry, I sidetracked us to humidity in Japan. I'm very, I'm just so passionate about it though. Like, I can't not be. So they were on a plane that, uh, it, it like malfunctioned, but they had to emergency land. It didn't crash land. And they emergency landed in this little town little town was like, you gotta wait, like, a few weeks. And they're like, well, we don't want to wait a few weeks. We want to go home now. They were trying to get to, like, a bigger city with an airport that was their destination because their honeymoon was over. I just feel like that's that moment in a horror movie where, like, you hear a noise and it's like, should I go investigate it or should I stay safe where I am? I'm gonna go investigate it. These people decide that it would be such a good idea to build a raft and ride it down the Amazon River for three days, because eventually water will take you to civilization and more people. Could they not have, like, borrowed someone's boat or something? I think that they looked into it and that for some reason there's a reason why they couldn't. Either either it was too expensive or, like, there wasn't one. I'm trying to remember why there was a reason, but this dude there convinced them that they could do it, and the wife was like, yeah, adventure, let's go, wowza. And they get three days of supplies. They have a tent on their big raft. They fill it with all the stuff. And on the second day, there's a storm. And cool. everything is thrown overboard. And these people are stranded for, like, ever, like, days, like, way too long. And the reason why they're stranded is because the river flooded. And it took their raft off Fuck. course onto stagnant water. Ooh. And they could see the river but they couldn't get to it, and they were too scared to get into the water. That would be so infuriating to be able to see, like, your way out, but you can't get there. At one point, they saw an airplane, and they, like, thought the plane was, like, a rescue for them or something, and it wasn't, and they just, like, got so... That would be just, like, soul-crushing. They... The husband, Fritz, almost died. He was really close to dying. Fritz. I love that. I like that his name was Fritz. 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 Uh, just a cute, I don't know, it's like, it's like a cute preppy name. But they did both end up being okay. The way they got rescued was someone else in a boat was going down the river and happened to see them and was like, what the fuck? And rescued them and took them to the next town where Damn, they... they got lucky. Oh, they got so <sighs> lucky. He was on the brink of dying from, uh, like, just exhaustion and... Starvation. Starvation. And... and- Real bad. And, like, the Amazon cannot be, like, the most, like, comforting place. water, like, drinking water. It's like, like, with all of the shit in it. Oh, God. I always think of the parasites. That parasite that goes up your urethra. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't. What I am going to talk about, though, is cave shit. Cave shit. Cave shit. <laughs> we love so cave shit. I looked up multiple cave shit stories. <laughs> I'm just you googling cave shit. Anyways, um, so I read this story that happened in Kentucky in 1917, and the what the fuck part is at the very, is towards the end. 
Um, so there's this guy from Kentucky, Floyd Collins. He found this little cave called Crystal Cave in 1917. Oh, that sounds very pretty. I know, being so excited that he discovered a cave, he wanted to explore every inch of it because it was his. I mean... It was just cute. For eight years, eight years, he, that's how familiar he was, but he was trying to explore new areas of it. For eight years, he squeezed through its passageways until the day he got trapped. His lantern was going out. This and was in 1917? 1917, so it gets dark. I also just feel like the equipment they had must not have been, like, super reliable. Probably not. Like, it's just, like, like actual rope and just little steel, like... Like, pick, the, like What yeah. are those things called? The little the, pick? The hooks? The little pick. The little pick. The little, you like put it in. Uh, you people use it for rock climbing. Yeah, you like you like stab it in and you use it to pull yourself up. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Whatever fuck Someone those things are called. What called. <laughs> Someone tells what those are called. <laughs> I just imagine those <laughs> and rope, um, and like a little helmet. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like, it's not even a flashlight. Like it's just lantern. Like just pure fire. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have little. It's nineteen seventeen. No, 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 no. They have flashlights. flashlights. They have flashlights. <laughs> well, he had a lantern in this story. He didn't have a flashlight. Well, maybe a lantern, like, it's an electric lantern. It started to flicker, and you lost light. Like, I thought a, it was... like a battery with, like, Maybe flight. it was. I don't... <laughs> I don't think you would take When did batteries come out? I don't know. No, Their electricity batteries. was, like, 1980, right? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> 1880. <laughs> 27 passageway when he knocked a 27 tw- uh, pound rock loose it came <gasps> crashing down onto his ankle pinning him into place Ooh. and and like your ankle is one of like your strongest like ways to move underwater like your legs oh. well he's not underwater he's, he's just he's in a cave oh okay, okay, okay he, he he's just normal oh, cave it was a fire lantern yeah that's what i'm saying i thought he was underwater i thought he was <laughs> SpongeBob style. <laughs> That's why I was like, no. oh, what? Okay. That no, makes... this is a above water on land cave. Okay. He has a lantern. A rock comes loose. He's pinned for 17 days. Seven? 17. This man That's hangs weeks. in there. How he hangs in there, I don't know. Did he bring like food and stuff with him? I am kind of assuming, because I don't he see any other way. Have. Or somehow people were getting food to him, but like like yeah. throwing it at him. They're just like, here you Everybody. go. We'll drop it in the hole for you. <laughs> so rescue teams tried to save him. Nothing they tried work. Um, in time, they brought in miners to uh, dig a shaft to him, believing the only hope was to make a new way out. 
They didn't yeah. think he could get out the way he got in. While he waited, Collins was becoming a celebrity, a local celebrity. Tourists from all around were coming to see his rescue. There is tourists for this. That's such a, like... Fucked up thing. Oh, on top like of this, a... there were booths set up selling food, drinks, and souvenirs! No. Like, literally, can you imagine getting stuck in a cave and someone being like, Alright, hot dogs, get your <laughs> hot dogs, see the guy in the cave, he's about to die, he's stuck. Maybe chuck a hot dog at him. They were selling souvenirs. Did they have little keychains being like, I guess, you know, they still have house keys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they don't have car keys, but, you know, like little, oh, here's like you. little buttons and stuff. Like, little buttons of Guy in the Cave, 1917. <laughs> Help, I'm trapped. Floyd <laughs> Collins, get your Floyd pins, get your Floyd dolls, get your, your Floyd, Floyd merchandise. Floyd. <laughs> That's shittiest thing it's I've ever so heard. I know that like people would like just like gawk at like crime scenes and stuff in the 1920s, but I've oh, yeah. never heard of anything where like people were just like actively like celebrating, selling souvenirs, selling food, selling time. It's a picnic. It reminds me of the Civil War. You know, they know the fields that they're going to be battling in. It's planned yeah. ahead of time. It's kind of like, hey, I'll meet you here at three o'clock in front of the school, yeah. but like a war. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so people literally in the South, not the North, because the South are just their own brand of dumb, um, had picnics to watch it, and they soon learned that that was a horrible idea, and they all I, ran away. Yeah. But yeah, no, like, I forgot which battle it was specifically, but it was like, God, I just remember my, like, history teacher had, like, pictures of, like, the place where it was kind of almost like a valley so, so like people, bleachers on either so side. So people were, like, at the top with, like, a little picnic basket and, like, blankets and stuff. And they were going to watch the war. It's fun. Oh <laughs> it's like, what the fuck, you idiot? But I guess, like, what else do you have to do? Oh, my God. Nothing else. I mean, look at the Coliseum. Like, we've been doing this forever. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> now we have Squid Game. And it's fictional. <laughs> And it's better that it's fictional. Let's let's yeah. get our violence out through fiction, please. I love that. I like that I have video games instead of like the urge to join a like gladiator arena. You know, yes. like it's just better this way. Yes. Um. So unfortunately, he died. <laughs> That's so sad. It's really sad. It's really fucked up that people profited oh, no. off of this poor guy, and he died. Oh no. awful if he had lived but he died so it's even worse on the 18th day in the cave hypothermia so i think they were getting food and water to him but he died of hypothermia what a shit way to go i know oh Oh, i know this one was just dark so this is about a diver in 2002 and we're, we're, we're underwater we're underwater now okay now we're underwater. <laughs> and 2002 we've had electricity for 20 years <laughs> 1980. <laughs> oh, I'm about to cry. So, so in 2002, there are some divers who found a body at the bottom of an underwater cave in Croatia, and it wasn't like bones, like it was still a body. Yeah. 177 feet below the surface, so it was pretty down That's there. Deep. Uh, he was alone, uh, but his diving mask had been removed, and there was a 12-inch knife lodged into his chest. 
So it looked like a homicide. Like someone went down there and was like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. In a fucking cave? That's Under- too much work. In an underwater cave. Too much work. Well, it's not actually what but happened. also brilliant. Oh, okay. It would be brilliant, but it it's, would not, be really but it's brilliant. not what happened. I know, right? They were like, oh my god, we have a murder. No. <laughs> it's actually way more depressing. At first, they were like, oh, this was a fucking murder. What the shit? Uh, because what the hell? But it turns out this guy, MK, had gone cave diving with friends. His name is just MK? I think they didn't release the like name publicly because oh, okay. he's from the Czech Republic, and oh, I think okay. their records are different Okay. because he's not American. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> it was on September 11th, 2002. Ugh. Yeah, but he's not cursed American, day. so he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't remember. Uh, uh, cursed day, though. Yeah, it is a cursed day. They were like, oh, it's a homicide. No, no, no. They found that it was darker. So he had gotten lost in a maze of the cave, and his oxygen ran out with no air left. He started drowning, and he swam up to an air bubble between two rocks and tried to breathe it in, but it wasn't enough to save him. He knew he was going to die here, and he knew it was going to be horrible and painful, so he stabbed himself instead because it was just too much to bear. And honestly, I don't blame them. I think I'd rather bleed to death than drown. I've heard drowning is like very peaceful though. I don't know. To me drowning to me drowning seems like terrifying and like it takes a while because you suffocate. Cause suffocation suffocation in general to me seems awful. I think I'd rather bleed to death if I had to pick. Like, I'd rather stab myself. I, I would actively stab myself before drowning. Don't like that. I don't like that. I know. It was chilling. I was like, fuck, That, dude. I just, like, the absolute, like, terror, but also just, like, helplessness. I don't, ugh. There was another store that's basically the same thing, but instead it was a cave that ended up flooding. Okay. So they weren't underwater. They were above water. Uh-huh. And what happened is it ended up flooding. And there was, like, nine of them. Uh-huh. And one guy was able to get his head up enough between... And he got stuck between two rocks to breathe air. And then and then it filled up and everyone behind him drowned. But by the time they found him, he suffocated anyways because there wasn't enough air. But with his head stuck. Mm. Terrifying. Cool. Yeah, there's a bunch of stories like cool. that where it's like you go into a cave. Like there's another story about some tourists who went to a cave and the locals were like, hey, don't do that. It's going to rain. The cave's going to flood. And they were like, it's not that bad. And they go and everyone except one woman died. Um, her and her husband had climbed up, uh, up on top of the rocks on the side and were holding on while there's just like a huge rush of water that just swept everybody towards the back of the cave. Oh, the survivor's guilt she must have had. And her husband was convinced that he could swim in the water and chose to get into the water, and she just watched it take him. To swim where? I don't know. I think he thought he could fight the current to, like, get help or something to get to the front of the cave. Mm -hmm. I'm not super sure. And so it wasn't... if he had just stayed on the rock with his wife, he would have lived. Mm -hmm. She was rescued eight hours later. Which, like, if you look at all the times everybody else in these stories have been stuck, that's nothing. I um, mean, it's still terrifying, 100%. Oh, yeah. But, but also, she didn't realize that they were all, like, dead, dead until, like, when they got her. she was rescued. All of their bodies had already been recovered. Oh. And they were all in boxes. Ooh. Ooh. And they were just, like, laid out in the grass. Or not the grass, but, like, in front of the cave. Yeah, these stories are real fucking sad town, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the last one, also sad town. This is my last one where I was like, fuck, dude. 
because there were so many. There's another diving one that was about the rebreather killing this dude, and I was like, because he panicked. Yeah. So this dude goes diving with his friends, and but the part where you get in the lake was iced over, so they cut in a hole. Oh, oh. And they're going to come out the other side of this mountain Mm-mm. because there's this cool underwater cave that goes through a mountain or whatever. And this guy got, like, minorly stuck, but he panicked about it. And, like, with the rebreather, uh, for those of you who don't know how a, re- a rebreather works, is that it's supposed to be super great for scuba diving because it re- it cleanses your Carbon. It recycles your air. It recycles your air so that you don't ever technically run out of air. Yeah. Is the idea. The problem about it is that you have to keep very steady breath. You can't breathe too quickly. Otherwise, you're breathing back in the carbon monoxide, dioxide. Carbon dioxide? Monoxide. Dioxide. Dioxide. The carbon okay. dioxide. <laughs> Fuck me, man. It cleans the carbon dioxide, turns it back into oxygen so you can breathe it in again. If you do it too quickly, you're breathing back in the carbon dioxide, which puts you in a really confused, lightheaded state, and then eventually you'll die and suffocate. And that is what happened to this guy. So this guy goes in, like, delayed after his friend and literally finds his friend's body. He panics He dies. No! So then the third friend goes and is just like, holy shit. He panics, but he doesn't breathe. He breathes properly. And instead of, and the problem is is that his friend's dead body is blocking the exit the way they were going. It's blocking the entryway. And it's it's like stuck and he like can't get it to like move. Because the guy who got stuck panicked stayed stuck. And so, um, the guy went to swim back and couldn't find the hole they cut in the ice, and he had to break through the ice to get out, and they never recovered the bodies. (gasps) They must have never watched Ice Road Trucker. They must have. I'm sorry, but if you've watched (sighs) Ice Road Trucker, you know not to fuck around with ice. It'll kill ya. It'll kill you. It's what, what I learned from my stretch. Um, so there is a terrifying cave in Utah that has been uh, cement sealed since. No. They've closed it up because they were like, nope. <laughs> we're not fucking with this anymore. And it's called the Nutty Putty Cave. How fun? What? Nutty it's Putty? It's called the Nutty Putty Cave. It was named after... Um, hold on. I know why. It's named after... Or the like the way it looks like it's mud and sand it's like putty i was reading museum facts uk reporting in on utah so i guess for those of you who don't know a spelunker is a person who explores and studies caves spelunking scares me never done it i've been in one cave ruby falls that scared me i have spelunked before yeah and um it's called uh Raccoon Mountain, I think, or Raccoon Caverns. It, it's like near Ruby Falls. And it was when <laughs> I still had my glasses and I didn't have contacts, which was the biggest mistake because they were a little too big for my face. And you're like constantly like down on your like hands and knees crawling. So my glasses kept fucking falling off of my face like in Velma. the dark. 
And yes, my glasses. but I like can't. you have to wear like long sleeves and long pants and they give you a helmet because you get, you're literally just like wallowing in dirt and the, they have like all these nicknames for like the little small crevices you have to, um, squeeze through like one was called the birth canal because it's they like, have a birth canal in this. oh yeah that's what he was looking for he was looking and for the birth one canal that was like um the nickel or something because it's like you get the dumbest nicknames <laughs> i agree i have a, <laughs> i have a theory that it's because white men are typically the ones exploring caves and they, they name it dumb shit yeah like that's that just, there that's the nickel see it's kind of nickel shaped yeah i don't that's just my own personal theory um <laughs> but I it agree. It was really cool, though, because at one point they, um, because you have your, like, headlamp, but at one point we got to this, like, cavern sort of area where it opened up, um, and we all turned off our headlamps, so it was, like, pitch black. Like, it's the darkest dark you can ever experience because yeah. of the sunlight. Like, when I closed my eyes, it felt lighter than when my eyes were open. I was super, like, muddy and gross afterwards, but it was also, like, a super, super, super well-established cave, and everyone goes on the same track through the, route through the caves all the time. If you got stuck somewhere, like, there were oh, multiple, yeah. multiple routes that yeah. they could take to rescue you. If I have to get down on my I hands mean. and knees and, like, army crawl through a space that's, like, just rock, that's a no for me. Big in oh, I'm too claustrophobic for that shit. You wouldn't like no. Hell no. And there's like certain parts where you have to they tell you like how to get through it, like you know, like put your right leg first and then turn to the right. Absolutely not. I would like, absolutely not. Yeah. I it was it was kinda cool <sighs> and like so, some parts of it were like really beautiful. Um, just like the stalactites and everything. It's not necessarily something you want to keep doing. I felt really passionate about. Yeah. It was a cool experience once and I think now I'm good. I'm good with that. Yeah. So yeah, spelunking is <laughs> not for everyone. So Nutty Putty Cave is known for its notoriously narrow spaces and it was first explored by Dale Green in 1960 who named them for their clay. It's in Utah, just know that. And uh, Edward, John Edward Jones was 26 years old and he was visiting his family for the holidays. Unrelated, Unrelated, they are Mormon. He and his wife. That's Utah. He was, was, well, I, I was confused that he was a father and married, and I was like, he's 26, though, and I was like, Utah, they're Mormon, and I did, they are Mormon. Things are different in Utah. Anyways, so he was visiting his family for the holidays, he was with his wife and 13-month-old daughter, um, and he oh. is an experienced spelunker. He had gone many times growing up, volunteered as a trapped victim for the Utah cave rescue to practice, like, rescuing people. The Pure Irony, which is an organization founded by his father. That's how into spelunking they are. Like, they're very experienced people. So he felt really confident about... Yes. Like, if anyone was going to be able to do this safely, it would be him. He felt like he he was going to be the guy. Okay. That's fair. So, uh, and he's also skinny. Like, he's six feet and, like... No, I guess not skinny. Skinny. Six, Six feet, 160 is skinny. Six feet, 200 pounds is, like, average? He's slender. But he's, he's, he's slender, but he's not, like, skinny. Yeah. Okay, um, anyways, just know that's his height and weight. So, he hadn't been spelunking in years, though, 
and uh, he just went in real confident, and so he went with his family members and nine other friends at about 8 p.m. that evening of November. Oh, they went at night? They went at night. I guess if you're going in a cave, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But they went at night for some reason. Um, uh, November 24th, 2009. Oh my gosh, that's my birthday. Not 2009, but... Well, that's when, that's just when they entered the cave. Um, the group was split into the two. The children and few adults explored a less dangerous part of the cave, while the others decided to explore the cave a bit further, and it went downhill pretty quickly. About an hour, an hour into the exploration, John decided to find the entrance to the birth canal, a narrow path through which Splunkers must navigate very carefully it's called the birth canal for a reason thing is is that there's a lot of different narrow paths uh he went into the wrong hole he didn't actually go into the birth canal hole it was the wrong hole and so he started crawling using his fingers hips and stomach but soon realized he had made a grave mistake and the thing is is he went head first and it is angled down like that all the blood is rushing to his head yes and he can't gravity is gonna be working yeah and so him. yeah so he's like and he just wedged himself in for oh no oh. so the narrow space that he crawled through was barely 10 inches across like 10 inches wide and 18 inches high so 10 inches is obviously less than a foot i wish i had a ruler i imagine it's like i would only be able to fit through that if I, I straight up couldn't. If I didn't have a bra on and if I didn't have a butt. I straight up couldn't. I don't know how he did it. I, he ten must have. But the 18 inches high, I guess he kind of went in sideways is the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But I. Like 18 inches. He must have been a narrow motherfucker. I don't know how he did it. Well, I wouldn't even put my head into that. No. Like. What? I just, I wouldn't go head first. Like, that doesn't make sense to me that you would go in because then I don't know. You're gonna, like, but that's, land there's a photo, there's a photo what? of his feet and it's creepy. I so he had no, I will pull it up. He had no option to turn around and the crevice engulfed him and he could not move any further. Even though the Nutty Putty Cave was a very popular cave, people dived here, cave dived, cave dive? Is dive the right word? Dive cave. is the wrong word. Spelunked. Spelunked. Spelunked is the correct word. <laughs> Even though people explored this cave and it was very popular, it was not fully mapped. So he might have read the map wrong as well, thinking it was the birth canal mm. when it wasn't. So, like, see how the birth canal is here? Yeah. He could, it could have been something else, like, to the side that isn't on this map, that's mm. smaller and narrower. He said he was on, in, on uncharted territory. Oh, okay. So his brother found him. Oh, no. And he was trying to pull his calves because it was about, he had this, about this much sticking out from knee up is about how far he was in. Holy and he tried shit. to pull him up by the calves, but it made him slide down even further. Oh. And so oh. he's upside down with one hand beneath him and the other above him. So he's like this. So, uh, the first rescuer arrived at about midnight. So, he got stuck at around 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. 12.30 a.m. is when the first rescuer showed up. So, and it's now November 25th. And you have nothing, you have no 
no way to like tell that time is passing. So he had been there for three and a half hours. And, uh, you know, she just tried to talk to him, tried to keep him going over the next 24 hours. You know, more than a hundred rescuers tried to get him free. Holy shit. And what the main thing they were doing was a pulley system. They were like, we're going to use rope. It's going to be a pulley system. And it was working. What? No. No. Uh, also, they got the opportunity to feed him through IV tubes, by the way. That was okay. another thing. So he was able okay. to be sort of fed. They were trying to keep him hydrated, yeah. that sort of thing. But the thing they couldn't stop was the blood rushing to his head and his heart. Yeah. That was the thing, as they were like, they're keeping him alive so he wouldn't starve and dehydrate, but they couldn't, you know. His circulation. His circulation, they can't do anything about it. So this guy, Ryan Schertz, was one of the people who had been trying to save John. Uh, John. He was there helping him for 19 hours. Oh. And he was sitting with him, talking to him the whole time, trying to keep him conscious, trying to keep him from falling asleep. As they were doing the police system, it was working. They were getting him out. And, you know, Ryan was still talking to him until the pulley system broke. And they, and they were pulling him slowly instead of one big pull because it was scraping up against him, so it was painful. So he would shriek out in pain, and they would stop and try to do a little bit more. Uh. And so they got him about a foot out of there. Um, a natural arc which through which the rope was fed yeah. broke, and the rope broke. A metal carabiner then fell and hit Ryan in the face, which caused him to bite his tongue in half. Like, that was the force of which... And it wasn't fully in half, but, like, his mouth was just full of blood and he had to, like, get out of there. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so just, like, one tragedy on top of a fucking another. Holy shit. Yeah, so um, that was just extra news. So um, that's when they stopped with the rope and the pulley because they had to take time to fix it. And so at this point in time, it had been 27 hours. And eventually he stopped responding. A medical professional, you know, crawled close enough to pronounce him dead due to cardiac arrest and suffocation. So the hole he crawled into had to have not had airflow. So that means there wasn't... his body cut off his air. Yeah. Because he was so, like... Yeah, so there there wasn't, like, an exit. Yeah. Um, this is another photo from Nutty Putty. That's called the Scout Trap. That's the name of that entry. That cave. Which looks terrifying. Hell no. Are you fucking serious? So, I already, the Nutty Putty Cave already had a dangerous history. So, he wasn't the first person to get trapped. He was just the first and only person to have died. So oh, in two, cool. So, in 2004... Two teenage boys almost died in separate incidences, uh, incidents in the same place, the same place where John was trapped because they thought it was that other cave entryway. Yeah. So in one of those cases, the rescuers took 14 hours to free a 16-year-old kid using several complex pulleys. And after the incidences, officials closed the caves for safety reasons, and it had only been reopened for six months until John and his family went to go in it. So it had only been reopened for only a few months, like six months. Wow. Yeah. No thanks. His body was never recovered. Um, They filled it up with cement so people can't go in it anymore, and they put a little memorial for him. There's a little plaque there. So it's now considered a grave site. That's just like 
tragedy on top of tragedy. So part of why I kind of like freaked out at Ruby Falls, I didn't freak out while I was there, but it was the idea. It's what made me realize caves scare the shit out of me. I went to Ruby Falls and like walking through it's whatever. They have it pretty carved out. It's pretty spacious and the, the waterfall's weird and eerie and there's totally some sort of fairy ring shit going on there. I don't know. <laughs> it just is creepy. You, you've seen the waterfall, right? Yeah. Something about it just creeps me out. Oh, I like it. Something about the fact that they don't know what the, where the water source comes from and it never stops. I think that's cool. <sighs> I think there are certain things in life that we just it just felt I just felt like otherworldly and being like I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Something's gonna trick me and like steal me and eat me. I don't know. I went on a school field trip, so I was surrounded by a bunch of other middle schoolers. So oh. that probably took any magic in the air. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I went <laughs> with like it. I was in that cave with like four other people. No, it was so a whole school trip. It was, so it was real like, creepy because it was so quiet except for the water. And oh I my was god, like, no, my, oh my trip god. was so quiet. And I had, <laughs> I had my little disposable camera with me oh. that I then dropped on the way out and it was, was gone forever and I was really pissed about it because I was like super excited about We should go back. Because I was going to put the pictures in my locker, obviously, as you do in as middle you do. school. Yeah. Me and all my cool friends. I, needed, I had proof that I had cool friends, <laughs> and then it was gone, and I was so sad, and my mom got so mad at me, because disposable cameras were not cheap. I don't remember how much they were, like 20 bucks? Well, I was in middle school and had no money, so everything was, like, really expensive to me. I understand. So, it freaked me out, besides this waterfall just being eerie and weird, um, was them telling of how it was discovered and how the caves were discovered. They were like, yeah, people just crawled through the tiniest crevice just to get through here. And I was like, they fucking what? And they, like, showed where they crawled through. And I was like, you couldn't pay me. (laughs) I know you paid these people, but you couldn't pay me to do it. As they're just chipping away, hoping the thing, the mountain above you doesn't fucking fall. Are you kidding me? I mean, all the think about all the people who tried to like hike Mount Everest before the first person like successfully did it. Like the fact that there's so many dead people on Mount Everest that you just see. Oh my god, yeah. the shoes. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, but like that, there are just people out there that it's like a, a weird thrill for them. Like they just the most ambitious people in the world. They think nothing can touch them until it, something touches them. Or and... like they're or it's like, you know, like the risk is worth it, you know? Like some of, like I feel like a lot of people like know the risk, but they're just like it's worth it if I can just like get past it. All right, Hunter, bring us back up from our depression of dying in caves. Well, I you... mean, it's there's a lot less death, but it's still not great. Okay, well. But it's, like, it's better. Um, so I am doing the Barbara Mackle kidnapping. Um. I am not aware of this one. Probably not. I wasn't either until I watched, surprise, A Crime to Remember. <laughs> a classic. Who'd have thunk Which I get a story from A Crime to Remember. <laughs> I still haven't watched it. Sorry. It's okay. So, I got my sources from A Crime to Remember, to nobody's surprise, um, but also, obviously, Wikipedia, um, a website called frankweberauthor.com, um, websleuths.com, 
thesouthernvoice.com. Oh, God. And lindsaywilliams.org. Must be a blog. A lot of them seemed to be, like, true crime bloggers kind of thing. Okay. Setting the scene. It is 1968. There's no electricity. (laughs) (laughs) You were waiting for that. You were seriously (laughs) Electricity had not been born yet, for it was to come in 1980. Kerosene lamps. Oh my god, shut up. They're sending smoke signals to each other. But yeah, everyone was still surprisingly fashionable. (laughs) Okay. What's up? You know, I always wondered why did electricity mean short skirts? That's just sort of how that progressed. Maybe you could just finally see better. And you were like, you know, dead ass, I gotta see it in the best light. People hold candles like you don't hold candles like down there. Yeah, but you have more fabric to light on fire if if it's a candle. I like how, I like how all of a sudden the 20s hit and people were just fucking fed up. They were like, I'm naked now and you're gonna (laughs) fucking deal with it. Here are my fucking knees, bitch. Fuck bloomers, (laughs) fuck long skirts, fuck sleeves. Fuck, they really took it all off. Yeah. Like, look at, like, a woman in 1910 and then a woman in 1920. Like, the flapper dress versus, like, the long, like, skirt in Victorian blouse. Yeah. They, it was a big, a big old 180. I absolutely like to think the pandemic from 1918 was part of it. They were just like, we're done with this shit. That's not a terrible (laughs) theory. Yeah. I mean, we've seen what the current pandemic has done to society. So, it's 1968. There is electricity. (laughs) (laughs) In case you were unsure. And we are in Atlanta, Georgia. (gasps) Topical. I know. Well, Well, local. Technically, it's Decatur, but no one knows what Decatur is. Well, my mom grew up there, so it's fine. So, we're in Decatur. Barbara Mackle, a 20-year-old Emory University student. Is staying in a hotel with her mother, Jane. Jane had flown up from their home in Miami, Florida to take care of Barbara, who had been sick with the Hong Kong flu, which I think is just a type of the flu, and it got a bunch of the Emory students, and they were all sick, and it was just a thing. And it came from Hong Kong. I guess. Okay. Um, She's sick with the flu. Jane is taking care of her. 1968, the night of December 17th. In the early morning hours around 3 a.m., Jane Mackle calls the police. When detectives arrive on the scene, she explains that Barbara has been kidnapped. That night, Jane had heard a knock on the door, and she explains to the detectives that when they knocked on the door, they said, police, open up. And so Jane um, cracks the door open enough, and she sees a man in a, wearing a police hat. And he says that a young man driving a white Ford had been in an accident, and he was at the hospital and asking for Jane. Jane recognizes the car, the white Ford, as the kind of car that Barbara's best friend, Stuart Woodward, drove. <clears throat> thinking it was an emergency because this person had relevant information. So they thought, so this person clearly stalked them and knew what car their boyfriend drove. Um, so, you know, thinking that, um, her daughter's best friend is, Mm. you know, hurt, um, she unlocks the door to let the policeman in, um, when suddenly she's thrown back as the man barges into the room, 
followed by a masked accomplice. Oh, God, fuck. Yeah. Um, the accomplice, so the man who was wearing the police hat was tall, bigger build. His accomplice was much smaller, described as having the frame of, like, a teenage boy. Oh, jeez. Um, Jane is thrown onto the bed and tied up. The intruders try to incapacitate her with chloroform, um, but... Either in the struggle they didn't do a good job, or for whatever whatever reason, Jane remains conscious. So she is able to see that although she is tied up, she sees that the intruders are leaving, dragging Barbara with them at gunpoint. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh my fucking god. Yeah. It's not great. So Jane explains all of this to the police. The first, as she's explaining this, the first person to arrive... Um, is Barbara's friend, Stuart Woodward. He and Barbara had been friends for years, um, and they go back together where they live in Florida. Their families are close. Um, he's comforting Jane, but police are suspicious, seeing that it was his car that was described by one of the kidnappers. Oh my god. So, which, I mean, is a kind of fair assumption, you Why know? would the kidnappers, like, use their own car... I know, but like... That's fucking, a fucking 1968 logic. I'm yeah. pissed. Then Barbara's father, Robert Mackle, arrives at the motel. He is a wealthy and well-connected businessman. Um, he owned one of the most prominent real estate companies in Florida. Um, so he is... Their family is really rich, really affluent, really well-connected. So well-connected that he calls his uh, his buddy, um, then FBI director J. Edgar Hoover. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so they are, like, the cream of the crop, like, family. Um, so they're rich. They're, they're rich, rich. They're rich, rich. And that's why they were targeted, and they kidnapped their daughter. Probably, yes. Okay. In fact, definitely, yes. There's a ransom? That's exactly. Stop. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm guessing. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. So, he calls his buddy J. Edgar Hoover and demands to have the best people put on the case. Um, and ever since the Charles Lindbergh kidnapping had happened, um, kidnapping had been considered a federal offense, not um, local or anything like that. So the FBI is immediately involved, and longtime FBI detective Schroeder arrives on the scene and um, speaks with Jane. She tells him everything, and the case quickly becomes really personal to him because he has two daughters of his own, mm -hmm. um, so he can relate. Um, Schroeder speaks with Stewart and asks about their relationship. So Stewart explains that they're just friends. And when asked if he has any ideas about why someone would take Barbara, he's like, well, it's obvious they're rich and someone kidnapped Barbara for ransom. And the Texans are like, oh, that's a really good point. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. God. I could have been a detective. So, Stuart is allowed to leave. They have nothing to hold him on. Um, but he is still considered a person of interest and is surveilled by the police. All of this has happened in Atlanta. Meanwhile, back in Florida, a family friend who had been staying at um, the Mackle home receives a call at 10 a.m., so a few hours after all of this has happened. The caller quickly tells the family friend to look under a tree at the northeast corner of the home for information regarding Barbara and hangs up. That's it. They don't identify themselves, nothing like that. 
Oh my god. They're just like, hey, go look under this tree. <laughs> and, oh shit. Um, the police had been at the home talking to the family friend. So they go and look under this tree and they find a beaker, like a science beaker, with a piece of paper rolled up inside. Oh my god. It's a ransom note. <clears throat> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Detective Schroeder, he is intrigued by the fact that this note was clearly already in place. You know, it's only been, what, like four or five hours since yeah. the kidnapping? Yeah, so they, so it's obviously so pre-planned. Pre-planned because this is 700 miles away. Oh. Like, it's not like they could have driven there and back or even gotten there at all in time to place the note there. It's either pre-planned or they have an accomplice in Florida. The note is creepy as fuck. Oh. It's long and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to read the first part of it. Sir, your daughter has been kidnapped by us and we now hold her for ransom. She is quite safe, if somewhat uncomfortable. We offer no proof of our possession of her at this time. It will arrive by mail in a few days. Barbara is presently alive inside a small capsule buried in a remote piece of soil. She has enough food and water and air to last seven days. At the end of the seven days, the life-supporting batteries will be discharged and her air supply will be cut off. Yeah, so Holy Barbara, fuck. Barbara had been placed in a wooden fiber-reinforced box two feet underground, stocked with a small amount of food and water heavily laced with sedatives. The box had two air vents, um, so like two plastic tubes running to the surface, um, a light bulb, and a fan. The two plastic tubes would not have been enough air for her to survive on its own, so there was an air pump, a battery-powered air pump. Well, at least they knew, Jesus. Yes. Oh my god, okay. But once the battery died on the air pump, no more air. Uh, what if she put her mouth to the tube and breathed? I mean, eventually she would still starve. Oh, or... I mean, yeah, but still at least she'd breathe. I yeah. mean, you suffocate quicker than you starve. Yeah, but <laughs> the point is, like, eventually she would die. At this point, detectives know that they're they're on the clock. There is a, a literal deadline, yeah, if you will. Fuck, yeah, fuck. That's so stressful. Um, The ransom note also included extremely detailed instructions which is part of why I didn't read it because it's like the kind of bills, half of them have to be uncirculated, half of them have to be circulated, newer than 1950. Oh my god, why? Like, because it's always that the, the money could be tracked. Oh. So clearly the person who had typed the ransom note like really knew their shit, but super, super, extremely detailed instruction on what needed to happen for Barbara to live. The note instructs the Mackles to gather $500,000, which is $3.6 million today. Holy fuck, how much was this family worth? <sighs> Fucking a lot. Oh my god. In $20 bills, and then take out an advertisement in every Miami area newspaper reading, quote, Loved one, please come home. We will pay all expenses and meet you anywhere at any time, your family. Signal to the kidnappers that the family had the money ready to go. Oh, I see. Yeah. It goes on to say, on the night the newspaper advertisement would appear, um, Robert Mackle was to wait for a call from the kidnappers where they would name a drop-off time and place. Robert was instructed to wear an all-white suit and arrive in his Lincoln. 
So the kidnappers knew what kind of car he had. They knew Uh, everything. Yeah. Detectives um, set up in Florida, um, tap into the phone lines, and they wait for... (laughs) This is random instructions, but I think it's supposed to be ransom instructions. Oh, I see. (laughs) They just wait for some random instructions. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Just throw some shit in there. They take out the ad in the paper saying, you know, that they have the money, basically. Um, December 19th, 3 a.m., the kidnappers call and give a location. And Robert has the money, so he leaves immediately. Everything seems like it's going to plan. Except the FBI hadn't told the local police in Florida oh my God. what was happening. But the local police didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, over the police radio... A call comes in that a suspect has been seen running with a suitcase, and the police are in pursuit. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, God, if I was that girl's parents, I'd be like, no! Yeah. The man drops the suitcase and runs away. He is not caught. But the police recover the money in the suitcase. So the kidnappers The FBI is like, you idiots! And they're like, but we're doing our job! Yeah, so the kidnappers now don't have their money. And the Mackles are terrified because now they have no incentive to tell the Mackles where their daughter is. The next morning, a letter arrives to the Mackle home that had been postmarked from the day before at a local post office, which means that the letter had been sent from Miami the day before, which meant the kidnappers were, in fact, in Miami, or at least one of the accomplices was. Yeah, somebody was. Yes. Inside... The letter, the FBI find a picture of Barbara holding a sign that says kidnapped. She looks dead, honestly. It's... I know she's not, but... It's it's scary. Like, it looks like a coffin. Like, it's, like, padded. I mean, yeah, she's essentially in a coffin. Yeah. The Mackles are desperate. Um, After the botched first drop-off attempt, um, the FBI has Robert... Mackle issue a press release that is a direct message to the kidnappers explaining that he had nothing to do um, with the local with, police. But the police with what had happened. He had no knowledge or involvement. He wanted to cooperate, let the kidnappers know that he was still willing to give get them the money. Um, so it got put in every newspaper, got um, aired over the radio. Cannot believe I've never heard of this. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. While Robert Mackle is doing all of this um, press release stuff, the Miami police had found the car left behind by the kidnapper after he had escaped from the police running away. So he had abandoned his car. Um, inside the car, they find rope, masking tape, um, a ski mask. They find a key to the Roadway Motel, which is where um, Barbara and her mother had been staying. They also find uh, pictures of a man. Most of them are intimate pictures, but in one of the pictures in particular, the man is completely naked except for a police hat strategically placed on his penis. Yes. Covering his dick. And the FBI remembers that Jane Mackle described the man at the door as having worn a police hat. A police hat. So at this point, they're like, okay, this is the guy. So the vehicle is combed over by crime scene technicians. They gather fingerprints and fibers. And it is um, discovered that the car is registered to a man named George Deacon. When asked, the Mackles do not know anyone named George Deacon or um, recognize his pictures. No one in the area seems to know who he is either. While this is happening... Uh, the kidnapper calls the Mackle home with a second drop-off location. So they are relieved. 
because this is yeah. another they, they're getting another chance to yeah. see the water. Robert Mackle completes the drop off without incident and everything goes to plan. Um, but there's still just this fear like the kidnapper could just take the money and never tell them anything. Yeah. You know, like there's there's really nothing But why would but, the kidnapper go to such lengths to put her in such a crazy fucking box if they weren't gonna tell him anything? True. But like at this point the guy is clearly fucking nuts, so like Yeah. It's just, it's so scary to think about. I just can't imagine, like, going to such lengths to make sure she lives for exactly a week and then just letting her die. Everything goes off without a hitch, but um, hours pass after the drop-off and the kidnapper has not called. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, so, like, the waiting. I so, guess they're counting their money. <laughs> fucking assholes. So, as the Mackle family is waiting for news, um, FBI Detective Schroeder discovers that a man named George Deacon works at the University of Miami Institute of Marine Science. Deacon's boss explains that he hired Deacon six months prior to pilot boats for marine research expeditions. And not only was Deacon a talented pilot and engineer, part of his job description was creating self-contained ventilated boxes used for transporting animals over long distances. Wow, I wonder who did this. What a coinkydink. <laughs> Guess who owns a police hat? <laughs> and has an OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> this guy would. Oh, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. He would be traced back through he's his not, OnlyFans. He's an entrepreneur, you know? Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, Detective Schroeder also finds out that Deacon is... Um, close with a Honduran graduate student named Ruth Eismanshire? Eismanshire? He got a student to help him? Eismanshire. He was young. Oh my god, He was like 20-something. Still though! Oh my god, okay, continue. Well, so when Deacon's boss is um, describing Ruth to the detectives, um, it rings two bells because Jane Mackle had described one of the kidnappers as being very slight. And Ruth was described as being about five feet tall. So she was very uh, petite. And one of the kidnappers had been described as having a Spanish accent when they called the first time to give the drop-off mm, location. Yeah. And Ruth is Honduran and speaks Spanish. Ah. So things are really lining up. Additionally, uh, a local man calls the police um, and says that he had just bought a trailer from Deacon the night before at an extremely low price he said that the that deacon had been in a rush seemed eager to get rid of the trailer and the guy thought it was a little weird but he didn't really think anything of it and then that morning he had seen in the news about barbara and he was yeah. like i think i think I, I, should, I should call this in so he reported the trailer please come and check it out and in the trailer they find letters referencing george deacon but also letters Referencing someone named Gary Christ. Gary fucking Christ. Gary fucking Christ. Gary. Fucking Gary. I'm imagining <laughs> Gary the snail with the evil mustache and his master plan. Don't do Gary the snail dirty like that. I'm mm. just, I'm sorry. No. I just like, I just imagine him with <laughs> a bowler hat on his shell with like a big evil <laughs> mustache. Like, <laughs> <laughs> When the FBI look up Gary Chris to see who the fuck this guy is, they discover that he is a 23-year-old California prison escapee who has been on the run and is known for stealing cars. Agents run the fingerprints from George Deacon's car 
against the fingerprints in Chris's file, and they match. George Deacon is Gary Christ. <gasps> oh, fuck! I know. <laughs> Gary Christ was known to be extremely intelligent, very good-looking, um, so yeah. he, he could easily, very, like, charming, so he could kind of easily get his way. Oh, my God. Um, How did he, fa- he, so he faked an entire identity. Yep. At this point, it has been almost four days that Barbara has been in a box underground. Finally, the FBI receives um, a call. It is driving directions to an area outside of Atlanta, which is about 20, and the spot is about 20 miles away from where Barbara had been initially kidnapped. Do we know where? We do, and I'll tell you about that (gasps) later. So agents immediately go to the site, and they begin searching. They're... Pretty discouraged from the get-go because the area is heavily wooded. It's pretty rural. Um, Looking for tubes sticking out of the ground. Right. It's the va- the directions were very vague. Um, so even if they did find Barbara, the chances that she was still alive are still slim because the, yes, the ransom note said she was in this box with all this stuff, but she arguably, you know, could have been anywhere in any state. Yeah, you and know? like who they probably like this person's insane. Maybe their box didn't work. Yeah, so like who's to say that she's still alive? It's been four days at this point. Mm-hmm. Unbelievably, an agent finds two tubes sticking a few inches out of the ground. Oh. If they hadn't seen those tubes, they never would have. They never would have found her. Agents begin digging. Some had brought shovels. Others were just like digging with their hands. Um, they're calling out her name. Um, trying to see if they can hear anything. When all of a sudden they hear a really soft knocking sound. Barbara is alive, unharmed, <gasps> and conscious. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, the oh god, the PTSD she must have from being in a fucking box for four days. J. Edgar Hoover personally calls the Mackles to tell them that their daughter is alive. Oh my god. Yes. So Gary Christ is pretty quickly captured by police. Um, He wastes no time trying to lie. He owns up to all of it um, and explains that his accomplice was Ruth. He basically, I get the feeling that he was one of those, like, fuck yeah, I did this. Like, Yeah, he bragged about it. I mean, it's a lot of work. Look at the fucking effort, Yeah, and, like, the amount of evidence they had against him, like... (laughs) Yeah. Like, absolutely. He never stood a chance. But police had expected to find Ruth with Gary, um, and they had not. (gasps) Was she put in a box? No. <laughs> okay. No. I thought maybe after a while he got really into it and just Surprise, kept everyone's in a box. J. <laughs> oh, Andrew Uber wakes up the next day. He's in, in a, a box. box. <laughs> after some time on the run, she is captured in Oklahoma. Um, when she, brought, she was out of there. She's yeah, like, bye. She said, fuck this. Um, when brought in by police, she explains um, in a, she had a written statement, like already prepared, ready to go. Um, she explains that she and Gary were in love. Oh. Um, she knew him as George Deacon, though. She did not know about his secret identity. You know, they worked together, um, fe- they fell in love, and she got swept up in Gary's dreams of committing the perfect crime. And she went along with his plans. So he's just telling her, like, hey, I think it would be really cool if we put someone in this box and got rich off of it. And she's like, <laughs> I'll I fucking mean, yeah, why not? If the local police didn't fuck it up, it might have actually worked. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, like, it actually would have worked. So, the, honestly, the, lo- the local police fucked it up, but they actually saved the day because the car got abandoned. They got lucky. Yeah. It, it really was 
honestly a very well thought out plan. Very uh, luckily, the local police were doing their job. Yeah. Um, she explained that during the botched drop-off attempt, mm-hmm. um, both she and Gary had uh, been in the car, but they had gotten separated. Um, and they had agreed... Because he ran off. Because he ran off. Um, and they had agreed to meet back at the car, but when she goes back to the car later, she sees it's crawling with police, and she thinks... That Gary has fucking ditched her and she's on her own. So she runs off to Oklahoma thinking that he's done with her. Oh, which wow. He, which he was, you know. I mean, to, yeah. To be fair. He didn't go and find her. Right. So she explains that um, Gary Christ had done months of research to pick the perfect family to target and choose Barbara as his victim. And wow. stated that he was looking for a rich, tough-minded female. Someone who could stand up to the trauma of being buried alive. Wow, that is the most fucked up backwards compliment I've ever heard in my entire fucking life. Oh, because I'm not a fragile, wilted flower who faints at the sight of blood, I get thrown into a fucking box? Yeah, both of them are arrested, needless to say, and they go to jail. What is the most amazing thing about all of this to me is that after all of this, Barbara has been described as being peaceful and calm. She went on to write a book about her ordeal, and she describes the fear of being kidnapped and worrying about her family. She explains that, um, so in the picture where she's holding the kidnapped sign, yeah, she says, I just had to smile. I was thinking... Oh, she's smiling in the photo? She was smiling in the photo. She said, quote, I just had to smile. I was thinking. If daddy saw it, I didn't want him to think they had hurt me. Oh, I didn't realize she was smiling in the photo. She was I smiling, mean, yeah. She was trying to put on a brave face for her dad. To be fair, she was kind of, like, asleep the whole time. <laughs> With the sedatives and stuff, not right? The, not the whole time. But, like, a lot of it. A lot of the time, yes. So, Barbara also talks about how her mind went to really dark places. Mm. Um, in her book, she writes, I said to myself, this is where I am going to die. Three or four times, I thought, this is going to be my casket. When I got morbid, I would think of who would find me. Who and when and how. Maybe it would be a farmer or someone building something. In 10 years? 20 years? Can you fucking imagine? Oh my god, yeah. Because those are actually the thoughts I would have. Like, Yeah, no, actually, it'd be like... Like, you have time to think about your death. She said the one thing that she held on to, and basically what she um, says is, you know, how she has managed to deal so well, was thinking about Christmas with her family. It was, it was a few days away from Christmas, and she thought about... Trimming the branches of the Christmas tree, stringing oh, up the it was lights, Christmas time. Placing the ornaments, the tinsel, like thinking about Christmas with her family. Oh my god! Mentally got her through, and she said that she never doubted that she would be rescued. Which is just like so Aww. sweet to me. That except, she, like, except she did doubt when she thought about how she was gonna die. Well, like overall. Okay. But I just think that's so sweet that she like believed in her family like yeah. that and stuff. So, by the time police well, they had found the her, money to do it. Yeah. Um, so by the te- by the time police had found her, she had run out of food and water. Um, the light and fan had stopped working and she had been in the capsule for 83 hours total. 
Wait, the light and fan had stopped working? Yes. So the air pump wasn't working anymore? She was running out of oxygen? The air pump was, but there was, like, a... A fan for temperature control? Like... I don't... I, I'm not sure exactly, but basically, things were starting to break down and her time was running short. Oh, so, my God. Um, it was... Because they, the water that they gave her was, like, just a, like, a few cups worth. Yeah, like, is it, like, is, if she rationed it, she could get through the week. Yeah. 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 So, she was buried, um, in Duluth, <gasps> which is wild. Oh, my God! It's, like, it's oh very, God. it's very, like, close to home and just wild that, like, we know yeah. University, like, the roadway in, um, where they, they were staying, where she was kidnapped. Is on Claremont and Decatur. <gasps> oh my like, god! Yeah, so like all of these, like so many of these places are like recognizable. Places we know. Which is just so crazy to me. She um, is fine now and went on to live a very normal life. She married Stuart. Oh, they got yay. married and had Cute. two kids. Oh, look um, at you go. She wrote a book called. Uh, I think 83 hours. Like trapped in a box. Like that. 83 hours or something like that. But she wrote a book um, that got turned into a movie. Um, so the sleeping all the time thing, being trapped, also reminded me of a movie I watched recently that I was like, what the fuck? Um, holy shit. It's called Level 16 on Netflix. And I don't want to give too much away because it's <laughs> another one of those psychological thrillers where you were like, what the actual fuck is going Ooh. on? But it's about a very strict behavior school for girls. Ooh. I recommend it because it's wild. It, it had me guessing. It's one of those things where you're trying to figure it out as you watch it because the main girl is trying to figure it out as she lives it. Ooh. And um, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's, it's like sixteen hours. No, level sixteen. Level sixteen. Level yeah, 16. which just means you're sixteen years old. Like each age is a different level, oh, and you okay. like go up the next level. And the idea at the school is that uh, it's like the a level enough it, 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 as you get to like, live. No, you get to be adopted by a family. Is what they tell you. Oh. They're like, when, when you're 16, you get adopted by a family, and they love you forever, and it's awesome, and this is just like a behavior school orphanage, and if you don't, you know, follow the rules and behave right, no family's gonna want to adopt you, so they, like, mind control these girls with fear about, like, if you don't behave, nobody will adopt you, and it's all they've ever known. Oh, oh, I hate that. Yeah, but it's, Aww. it's honestly, the main actress is, like, so good. I was like, oh my god, she who was such it? a good cast. I don't know who she is. I wonder Ooh, who this, I wonder who this actress is. Oh, her name's Katie Douglas, I think. And she's, oh, she's 23. She just looks, she looks like a teenager. Well, good for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Barbara survived. Everything's fine. But, like, it's still bad. It's still bad. Don't kidnap people. Put them in boxes. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't. So mine was definitely bad, but it had a much better ending. Oh, absolutely. It was a wild ride, honestly. I know, and that's why I, like, a crime to remember, like, every time, like, we have a topic, it's like, they are the crimes I remember. They <laughs> are. That's the fucking crimes, they, man. They do such a good job of telling the story and, like, the reenactments 
are really good and tasteful. So good. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode. I guess just like, follow, subscribe, and we will see you guys. Check us out on next YouTube also. Time. All that. that too. We're on YouTube. Maybe you're watching on YouTube. Maybe you're listening and want to see a video. And you can see Cheese the Cat. You can see Cheese the Cat. She's oh, the you Because he. Did he jump off? Oh, no. Yeah, that part wasn't recorded. Fuck. You'll <laughs> see Cheese the Cat in a future episode. That's fun. <laughs> All right. Keep it creepy. Bye. Intro music by Richie Gaser from The Phantom Friends. They're pretty good. Give them a listen.